Hey, good morning, everyone. We are in the middle of our topic of talking about heaven and hell and the truth about all those things. And I think if there's one question that I get asked more than anything else, it's this one question, what happens right after we die? And I think for most people, uh, they, they have maybe a concept of it. They may think, well, I think I know, I'm not real sure. And it's funny when you begin to ask people that very question, they're not, they're not totally sure. And, and there was a, a recent survey I heard about that people were asked about the, the afterlife. And it was amazing to me how many people believed in heaven. It was overwhelming how many people believed in heaven. And then you ask the same people if they believed in a hell, and it, it was cut dramatically. How many know it's not fun to talk about hell? It's not fun to talk about our eternity when, when it's not many times a good thing to talk about, when we think there could be consequences uh, to our actions. And so those things are tensions that are in our lives. And so for us, what we're doing is we're going through uh, scriptures and seeing what, what did Jesus say about this? What did, what did other authors of the word of God have to say about this? And my prayer for you is that it will clear up some confusion. And hopefully for you, it will give you a greater desire to know Christ and not only to know him, but to be thankful for what he provided for each and every one of us. And also give us a greater desire to proclaim the wonderful message of Christ of why he actually came to earth. And so that's my, that's my prayer for you. So what I want to do this morning is, is I, I just want to clear up some questions. And, and what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks, we're going to, we're going to answer uh, some of these questions. Wh- where do we go uh, right after we die? We're going to talk about that today. What, what is heaven like now? We're going to kind of dive into that today. Um, will we know others when we get to heaven? We're going we're gonna to talk about that in a couple weeks. Uh, we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, will my cat or dog be in heaven? Dogs, yes. Cats, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> you got no. I'm saying we divide. Cat lovers over here. Dog lovers over here. So we'd have like three people over here in the right. No, I'm just teasing. I'm, I'm I, I'm teasing. Um, so th- this is probably the most important question uh, that you will ask yourself is, is what happens after I die? And what's, what's interesting is for most, they never really either consider the question or if they do consider the question, they just make up what they want to believe and hopefully that'll do. Um, how many of you have ever watched a movie or a TV show when a child asks about the afterlife or a child asks about heaven? And it's amazing to me how many parents fumble around with the answer. They don't, they don't really know, which causes the child to have even, even more confusion. So what we need to do is we, we really need to get this right. So, so but before we, 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 we just dive into what happens right after we die. We, we need to understand, does someone actually pick where they go? Is it, is it completely up to me? Um, see, I want us to understand that every single person will have to give an account for their life. And, and this is where we need, need to start right here because I think we would, wouldn't we all agree that it's good to have accountability in your life? Okay, if you, if you don't like that, well, let, let me ask you, if, if, if you're married today, um, what if your spouse just did whatever they want to do and never told you about it? Would you like that? Would that be a good marriage? 
It wouldn't be a good marriage because there's no accountability. Those of you parents with, with teeny boppers, with, with teenagers, um, what if your teenager said, Mom, I'm going out, Dad, I'm going out. I'm not telling you where I'm going, but I might be back today. I might be back tomorrow. I might be back in three days. Oh, by the way, can I have the, can I have the, uh, the, the, the keys to the car too? Is that going to happen? Survey says, eh, it's not going to, right, because there's no accountability. How many, how many of us all here today would agree that accountability is good? Let, let me make it even more personal. If some of you here, uh, someone is handling your money or handling your retirement money or handling your investments, don't you want to know that that person is doing a good job handling your finances? Doesn't that person need to be accountable to you because that's your money? How many would agree accountability is a good thing? Okay, now we're, we're, we're you're, you're, I know you're waking up now, we're all, we're all coming together here. Okay, so listen, why would it then be that we would think that our lives wouldn't be accountable before God? Why would we think that we're not going to be accountable for the things we do and we say, and I believe that's where we need to start. Because I think for most of us, we would say, oh, I like accountability when it personally affects me, when it deals with my money or my children or marriage, then accountability is good. But all of a sudden, when I begin to throw out the question of, you know what, we're going to all stand and give an account for the way we live our lives, people don't like that. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. You know, that's my life, and what I do with my life is what I want to do. And all of a sudden, we don't want accountability. But the problem is, we're all going to have to stand before God one day. And the scriptures tell us that we're going to have to give an account for everything that we've done. And so we've got to realize, okay, if I'm going to stand and give an account for my life, in my actions, that should cause me maybe to rethink my life just a little bit. And what am I doing with the things in my life that I know are true and not true? And in fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the authors of scriptures, says this in the first book of Romans as he wrote to the church uh, in Rome in these, in, in these scriptures written so many years ago. And he said that every single one of us are without excuse. Every single one of us are without excuse. That the moment you and I look up into the heavens, what Paul says is every single one of us see before our very eyes that there is a creator. That there is someone bigger than every single one of us here. There is someone that has created this universe. There is someone who has put air in your lungs for you to breathe. There is someone that has breathed life in you that you might live. And we are without excuse before our creator. And so what Paul says, there is not going to be one person on this earth that could ever stand before God and say, I didn't know you existed. Not one person, because the moment you look up into the heavens, and what Paul said is what man did in their own foolishness, because we're foolish, we want to do things our way, what man did was they exchanged what God created and began to worship the created things and not the creator. And so what they did is they began to make images for themselves and they began to worship those images and not the very God who created those things. And so in the foolishness in their own hearts, they denied 
this creator and began to worship created things that they have created. And so what I want you to see this morning as we dive into where do we go after we die, which is a great question which everybody wants to know, I want you to realize first and foremost that we're all accountable, that no one is without excuse. And you can say, well, what about that person that lives in the jungles in South America and no one's there? Guess what? They're going to stand accountable because every single one of us, as we looked up into the heavens, we saw that there was a creator. And in the foolishness of our own hearts, we refused to worship him or even seek him or even know him and resorted to our own foolishness where we began to worship created things that we've created. So we have to realize that, hey, I'm going to be accountable for the way I live my life. So we realize that our actions have consequences. So the issue isn't whether or not, oh, do you like accountability or not accountability? Will you give an account for your life? The, the, the bottom of this whole thing is every single person will have to give an account for their lives. And Scriptures even tell us, Paul even says this, writing to the church in Corinth. He says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due, done in his body, whether good or evil. So we're all going to stand. So, so here's the thing. We all would agree that accountability is good. So if accountability is good, then we need to say, Okay, God, I'm going to give an account for my life. Now, we may, we may laugh at the guy, you know, at the football game or the baseball game or on the street corner that wears the sandwich board that, that says judgment is near, you know, the sign that says turn or burn. You know that guy? We all know that guy, turn or burn. You know, get right or get left. You know that guy? Uh, you know, judgment is near, repent from your sin. And we, we, we may make fun of that guy. Maybe the approach isn't the greatest, but you know what? Within that lies a strand of truth. Within that does lie a strand of truth. In the scriptures, it says that it's appointed once for man to die, then judgment. So what we have to look at today, what I want to dig into today is, is, is if we're going to stand for our sin and we're going to have to give an account for our life, we're going to have to stand before our maker one day and give an account for everything we've done in our lives. And we have to realize, okay, there's there's two ways we can go. We talked about this. There's the narrow gate Jesus talked about, and there's the wide gate that many people take that leads to destruction. And the narrow gate is the one that few take, but it leads to eternal life. So let's look at two things here. What, What happens immediately after someone who's following Christ, where do they go? And, and, and someone that's not following Christ, someone that, that has not had their sins forgiven or, or have professed Jesus as Lord, what happens to them right after they die? So let, let, let me define, because we talk about this as an unbeliever. We say, there's believers and there's unbelievers. A believer, we would say, is someone who's following Christ and has asked him to forgive them of their sins and, 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 and that he's Lord of their life and that he is God. And, 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 and that, that's, what, that's why we call ourselves a Christian. They're followers, disciples of Jesus Christ. So we would say believers. And then there's, there's those that are unbelievers, those who have not professed Christ as Savior, who have not had their sins forgiven, who have not trusted Christ by faith and believed him as Lord. Now, I want you to notice something. An unbeliever has nothing to do with how religious you are or how often you have gone to church. 
It has everything to do with a, a new heart, a new spirit within you that only Christ can do. So what I want to do is, it's going to be real fun this morning. I know all you're going to be saying, I'm so glad I came to church this morning. Man, pastor. Um, but what I want to do is let me explain to you what happens. Because do, do people get a second chance after they die? And that's what I want to explain because, listen, talking about hell is like the last thing I want to do on earth. This is a tension. This is hard. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to say that this is easy, but if I'm going to give you the truth about the afterlife, we have to be true to what scriptures teach about the soul of every human being and the condition of our soul. And, and, and if, we, if we minimize that, listen to me, people, if we minimize that, or if we water it down, then what in fact we end up doing is watering down what Jesus in fact did on the cross 2,000 years ago. So the more we understand this, the more you're going to see that God is not some ogre up in heaven saying you can go, you can't go, you, you can go to heaven, you can't go to heaven. We've got to realize the responsibility is not with God. The responsibility is with you and I. Can I get an Amen. Okay, so remember, you all, you all raised your hand. You said accountability was good, Pastor. Accountability is good. We all want to be accountable, right? Okay, so if we all agree that accountability is good, then we have to realize the mess that... Because every single one of us would agree that this world is a mess. Can I get an amen? It's a mess. There's evil all around us. We, we, we see the proclivity of man's heart is to do... Evil, we see the mess around us. You've known even with your own heart the choices and the mess that, that we've made even in our own lives, right? We need God. We need a Savior. That's the reason why Jesus came. So we all agree accountability is good. So, so listen, the fault does not lie within God. The fault lies within us who refuse to seek a God who could restore us. We refuse to turn to Him and humble ourselves before his mighty hand. So really, the fault lies within us, not God. God has done everything possible to, to restore us. So, so the fault lies within us. So what happens to an unbeliever who dies? Well, what happens is we understand the Bible says, we, we read this in Scripture, that it's appointed once for a man to die, a, a physical death. Guess what? We're all going to die one day. It's just inevitable, right? The, the mortality rate in the United States is 100%. Right? We're all going to die. And so when we die, the, the scriptures tell us that that's when we await judgment. We're going to have to stand accountable. Y'all said accountability was good. So we're all going to be accountable for what we have done with our lives. So when an unbeliever dies, he is waiting for his judgment. And the Bible speaks of this place as Hades or the place of the, the dead. Now, this is not... Uh, hell yet, even though it's described in the word of God as a horrible place, the final hell comes after the judgment when God will send his devil and his angels and all those who are not forgiven. Now, we may say to ourselves, well, Pastor Barton, this just seems so unfair. But I want you to think for a moment what God has done for us. He did everything possible to rescue us from this coming judgment by sending his son and taking our punishment for us. So there is no one who is, who is without excuse 
for their sin. That, listen, people, that's why the body of Christ exists today to proclaim. That's why the apostles in the first century church gave their lives for that message that Jesus came and gave his life for sinners. To, to, to save us, you hear that word save, right? Are you saved? Well, I don't know, what does that mean? Well, what we are saved from, Jesus came to save us from God's judgment upon our sin, which we will have to stand and account for. So Jesus came to take the penalty for my sin and your sin and to protect us from God's soon judgment. How many have ever, how many have ever said, man, people just get away with stuff? drives me crazy how people get away with stuff. Let me just tell you, they're not getting away with it. You, you may not, you, we may not see it here on this earth, but God is the final judge. No one gets away with anything. Okay, just, just letting you know that. No one gets away with anything. So, so there's this judgment that's going to come and no one is without Excuse. So let me, let me just give you Jesus' own words concerning this judgment. And, and let, let, let's, just, let, let's just do this, okay? Let's just read it for what it is. Let, let's, not, let's not try to reinterpret it. Well, Jesus may have meant this, and maybe he meant that. And let's just talk about Jesus' love. That's wonderful, his grace, his mercy for us, all wonderful. But I want you to get from the scriptures Jesus' own words concerning this coming judgment. And just listen to the words. Listen to what, and here's just a few of them that Jesus speaks of. Jesus speaks about hell more than any other person that we have in scripture. So let's see what Jesus says. Matthew 25, 41. Here's Jesus' own words. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Is that Jesus saying that? That's Jesus. I know y'all like that neat little picture of Jesus, you know. I remember as a, as a, as a kid going to church, and we had a big stained glass window of the, uh, in our church of Jesus holding the lamb over his shoulders, right? Great picture of Jesus going out and finding the one that was lost, and it's such a nice picture of Jesus. This, this isn't the picture of Jesus that I like, but guess what? Jesus is judge. What we see here is Jesus is going to judge the unrepentant heart. So he says to those on his left, you did not repent. You wowed in your own sin. You denied me a savior who came to die for you. Depart from me. Look, look at Revelation John, the apostle, gives a vision of what is going to happen in the future in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. This is the final judgment. This is where God will judge the dead, those that have died without Christ. And listen to what it says. And he says, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. And, the earth, and earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. Isn't that interesting? And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead. And death and the grave gave up the dead. And all were judged, all were judged according to what? Their deeds right? And this is what? The lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown where? 
into the lake of fire. And this is the fate for all who are not regenerated by Christ. So we see here that, that God is the ultimate judge in every single person. You all said it. Accountability was good. All right. We're all going to have to stand and give an account for what we've done with our lives. And so God, we see, is the final judge. And so this is the fate for all who are not regenerated by Christ. And, and, and listen, the apostle John is very specific on who that is. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, I want you to listen to what John says because he gets very specific. Who, who are these that are judged? Who are these that are condemned because of their lives were not worthy before Christ? He says, but for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You got that spiritual, you got the physical death, and then there's going to be that second death that will separate them from the very presence of God. So let me explain so, so we know that we're, we're correct. We understand what, what scriptures teach about those that are without Christ. What happens is they go to a place where they're waiting for their, for their judgment. And then eventually they're going to be judged before the great white throne of God himself. And they will have to give an account for how they live their lives. And God will say, you are now departed from my presence because you were not redeemed. You had every chance to make, no one's going to be without excuse. No one's going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't, I didn't know that, God. I, I didn't know. I, I wasn't real sure about that. And God's going to say, no, you had no excuse. I gave you every single chance to turn your heart to me. But because of the hardness of your own heart and the rebellion of your own heart, you choose rather to serve yourself than to choose to serve the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. Is that clear? Okay, I know that's not warm and fuzzy. I know that's hard because we think, well, well God, well, you know, that just seems so unfair. But remember, God is not the problem here. It's us. We're the problem. And we all agree that accountability is, is good. I can remember, let, let me just lay this out for you. Let me just, because this is hard, and I can feel the tension in the room right now. You could cut the tension in the room right now with a knife, with a samurai, okay? I feel the tension. Like, Pastor, I could have slept in this morning, okay? This is not fun. Let me explain to you this way. I remember I had a conversation with, with this woman who, who went to Harvard Theological School, and she, she was part of the Unitarian Church, and and believed in many different religions, and she just was all over the place. So we, we got talking about things. And so I asked her, I said, well, what, you know, because she goes, oh, I think Jesus was a great person, but I, you know, follow the, the Baha'i faith, and I believe in reincarnation, and I follow Hindu faith, and just a whole nice big conglomerate of stuff, pack it all together, put, put a bow on it, throw some potpourri on it, it smells real nice because it's very palatable to a lot of people. So I began to just throw out questions to her. I'm like, well, that's real interesting. You went to Harvard. Wow, that's pretty neat. You got your theological degree from, from Harvard. And wow, that must be pretty cool. And so I began to ask her questions. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Well, what do you think about the afterlife? What do you think happens to people when they die? And she goes, well, I believe if, you know, if you, you believe in heaven, 
then you're going to go there. If you believe in reincarnation, that's fine with you. So I began to ask you this question. I said, you know, let me just ask you this question. Um, what happens to Hitler when he dies? Just curious. You know, millions of Jews that were killed under his leadership. What, what do you think happens to Hitler? What, what, what goes on there? Because everybody would agree that he was a pretty evil man. So what, what, what's going to go on there? And she goes, well, uh, that's a good question. So she was thinking, thinking, thinking. She goes, well, I, I think that um, he's going to you know, be reincarnated and, um, and he'll have to pay for all those sins in, in, in another way. So I said, so what you're saying is, just, just he's going to work out his own uh, retribution or he's going to work out his own issues by being reincarnated as a, as a roach or right? Is that pretty much the way... She goes, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I, I posed this question. I said, you went to Harvard, right? I want to get that straight. You went to Harvard Theological. You got a Master's of Divinity. Let me just get there. I go, have you read the Bible from, from cover to cover? Did, have you read it from beginning to end? Well, I've read most of it. I said, okay. I said, you know the part in the Bible where it says, Jesus says I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me? What do you think about that? Oh, that's in there? You, you, you went to Harvard Theological Seminary and got your Master's of Divinity, right? She said, I said, so let me just pose one more question to you. I said, um, what was, if, if Hitler could, could be reincarnated and work, it, work out his sins in another life or another form, I asked her this question. Then what was the purpose for Jesus coming to earth? What was the purpose? Please tell me that the death of Christ on the cross wasn't in vain. Please tell me that. So what was the, I asked her, what was the purpose of Jesus coming to earth? You know what her answer was? To be a good person. People, listen. Here's the problem we have in our world today. We have created, and, and once again, I'm telling you, this tension between heaven and hell. I'm not, I'll be honest with you. I don't like talking about it. It's a tension. It should bother every single one of us. But here's the problem. We have watered down the gospel message and the purpose for Jesus coming so much that we've just made him out now to be a good prophet, a good man. When, when we read in the scriptures that that's not what Jesus says about himself and that's not what we read. Jesus never gave us another option to believe in him. And listen, people, the reason why Jesus died a horrible, bloody, naked death on the cross was for our sin. His whole purpose, his whole mission was to come and be executed and to die an innocent man, a sinless man, a man who was fully man and fully God, to take on the weight of the world on his shoulders so that, listen, so that God, so that God would be righteous in his judgments, so that God wouldn't blink an eye at our sins, so that God would be vindicated by what he did by saying, you know what? I realize that man has sinned, they've fallen away from me, but I'm going to send my only begotten son to die in your place as your substitute. That's how much God loves us. So people, we are without excuse. Every single one of us. And to marginalize Christ 
And to patronize him by saying that he was just a good man, we miss the whole meaning of the cross. And so when I answered that question, she didn't know. So then, I have to admit, I tried to hold back as much as I could. I got preaching a little bit, okay? I got, you know, I just, I had to, I had preached a little bit. And, and I had to make sure that this person with the Harvard Theological School understood why Jesus came. And I told her, I just said, you know what? Let me ask you a question. Why don't you just read the Bible? Just read it. Just read it. Get a good translation and read it. So that you can understand why Jesus came. And you can understand the purpose of his coming. So, so yeah, this, this is not easy, and, and we should never take this lightly. And I'll tell you what, when someone says to somebody else, you can go to hell, that bothers me. Because we have no idea what that really means. Are you hearing me? Do you hear me? That, that's scary. When someone says that to somebody else, I'm like, I know Somebody just uses that casually just to hurt somebody. But I know what that means. I know what the scriptures say about that. And, 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 and that should bother us to no end. And we need to take that to heart and understand the reason why we exist as a church. And the reason why we proclaim the gospel message is so that people can hear what Christ did for them. So they wouldn't have to stand before God in judgment. That they could find forgiveness and be innocent before a holy God. Okay. Put that to the side. Let me give you some good news. How many of you want to hear some good news now? Okay, Pastor, this is so down. I'm just, I just want to run out and cry right now. Okay, so, so let me give you some. What happens to a, a, a Christian, a follower of Christ, someone who has admitted that they were sinners, and they said, God, forgive me of my sin. I fall on your, your mercy and your justice and forgive me. And you've been born again. You've been renewed from the inside. What happens to a Christian when they die? Now, many Christians don't even get this right. So let's, let's understand biblically what this means. Even the apostle Paul wrote to different churches that were confused on the question of what happens after we die. So you're not alone if you don't have that all wrapped up in your mind right now. So let, let's talk about that. So, some some in, the, in the church that the Apostle Paul was writing to in some of his letters were, were confused. They said, what happens to believers? What happens to believers is they die before Jesus comes back? Because we know Jesus is going to come back, but what happens before they die? And, and, and some of you, if, if you read the Bible, you, you hear the word fall asleep. What happens to those who fall asleep? And I think this has brought some confusion because we think, do they go into some soul sleep of unconsciousness? Is that what happens? We die and then we're just we're just unconscious and it's this soul sleep. I think the word asleep gets us confused. It simply means those who have died. For those who have died. And what we see in scriptures is that one day God will raise up our bodies into new heavenly ones at the return of Christ. So I want you to listen to the words of, of Paul as he writes this letter to this church who's just confused. What happens if we die and and, and, and Jesus doesn't come back yet. What, what, what happens to our bodies? So here's the hope that we have in the resurrection because Jesus set the example for us by not only dying on the cross, but three days later, the hope is that we have for all believers is that Jesus rose from the dead. Christ the Lord has risen today. <laughs> right? Good stuff. So we're excited because the reason why we worship 
On Sunday is because the early church began to worship on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the grace and they began to meet together to celebrate what? The risen Savior. That Jesus, that's the hope. So what, he's, what Paul does here in 1 Thessalonians, he says, here's the hope of the resurrection. He said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers. Remember what a believer is, someone who follows Christ, gives their heart to him, believes in him as Lord and Savior, and has their sins forgiven. He says, we, we, don't, we want you to know what, what will happen to believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no what? Hope. So he goes on. In his letter in the, in the, to, to the church in Thessalonica in First Thessalonians, he says this in chapter 4, 17, 18. He says, Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. All right, this is talking about the rapture of, of the church. We're not going to get into that today. We'll talk about that later. But I want you to look at the next words. Because we, we think to ourselves, okay, what happens right after we die? Listen to the next words. Then we will be with the Lord for what? Forever. He says, so encourage each other with these words. I want you to notice the words. We will be with the Lord forever. This is the main point. Not so much what is heaven like, which we will see but the point that Paul is making is we will be with Christ forever. And so Paul reiterates this thought in another letter to the Corinthians. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 5.18 as he writes this letter to encourage this church also. He says, yes, we are fully confident that we would rather be away from these earthly bodies. For then we will be at what? Home with the Lord. Now it's interesting that Paul talks about our bodies as being tense. And that our new heavenly bodies, he talks about going home. Home is a permanent place. A tent is a temporary place. How many of you love to camp? You just raise your hand. You just love to camp. You love being homeless for a week. You just love that, right? You love to camp. I, I, I just, I'm not a camper, okay? I just... I can do it for maybe six hours and I'm good, okay? Or a night and, and I'm good. The minute it starts raining, I just had bad experiences with camping. My dad says, hey, everybody, we're going to, my grandparents had a, had, a, had a little cottage down in the Bristol Hills that my grandfather built. We'd go there on the weekends. I had a little dirt bike. I loved it because you'd go into a cabin with a fireplace and it was nice and you kept dry when it started raining out. My dad had this great idea that we're going to go camping at Hamlin Beach State Park. Well, the week, the weekend we went, it poured the whole weekend. This is my remembrance as a 10 or 11, 12-year-old kid. Is my dad, what he learned from being an Eagle Scout, is my dad's got his little shovel, and he's digging a trench around the tent, hoping that the water would not continue to rush through our tent like a raging river. Meanwhile, we're next door in our friend's camper. Watching my dad out the window. Go, Dad! Keep digging. Well, he dug that nice trench for about 45 minutes, and our tent was still soaked. And the next thing I know is my dad's ripping down the tent, throwing everything in the back of the station wagon. And, and thank the Lord, Hamlin was only 45 minutes, 30 minutes from our house, and we drove home and slept in our nice warm beds. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Thine the glory, right? Those of you that have gone through the... So listen... 
This body is temporary. No matter how much you try to work out, no matter how much Botox you stick in your face, no matter how much we try to, to look nice and, and reverse the aging of time, this is a tent. And we grow old. The other day I was looking in the, in the mirror in the back of my head. I've got a lot of gray hair in the back of my head. It's like this huge gray patch. I'm like, when did that happen? Of course, Lily reminds me of that all the time. That's why I tell her to go play in the street. But anyways, listen. We're gro- How many know you're growing older? This is a tent. But the hope that we have is in the resurrection. That the resurrection shows us that Jesus conquered the grave. Jesus conquered death. Death no longer has a hold on you who are in Christ Jesus. That's the hope that he's trying to tell these churches that we will be with the Lord. We will be at home. Philippians 1.23, another letter, another church that, that Paul writes to. He says, listen, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go to be with Christ, which would be far better for me. So what Jesus said is very important to us. That, that he conquered the grave, that, that he is coming back to get us as believers. And if we die before then, then we're going to be with him. I love what Jesus said to the thief next to him on the cross who put his faith in him. And Jesus said to that thief, he said, listen, today you will be with me where? In paradise. Now, this word, we're going to get into this word. Paradise basically means like a, a beautiful garden or, or just a beautiful park. You're going to be with me in paradise. So what we see here is there is no soul sleep. There is no purgatory that we can go to to make up for our sins. The place where we can get a second chance. No, when we die, we either go to that place of judgment if we're without Christ or we go to the presence of the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12.7 says, For then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. So, Where do we go right after we die if we're followers of Christ? Well, we go to heaven. Jesus called this place paradise. However, I want to make it just a little more confusing for you, okay? It's just not that simple. Um, This place, this paradise is only temporary. It's just a temporary place. Because heaven, John the Apostle describes in, 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 in the book of Revelation, will come down to a new earth. So what I want you to see here is God is restoring all things. God is changing all things. For you that have come to know Christ, what he's done is he's redeemed you. He's restored you. So so as I finish here, let let me just read this passage to you. And and let's get this right. Revelation 21, 1 through 3, because here's the good news. This new heaven and this new earth. And here's here's what John sees. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And listen, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with who? It's with us. And he says, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be as their God. 
See, I want us to remember that let, 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 let's not get caught up in heaven as the place, but a place where God dwells in heaven and where we're going to worship his glory. I, I want you to see what Randy Elkhorn says in his book on heaven. He makes an interesting thought here concerning this new heaven and this new earth restored, coming down to here as everything is redeemed. He says this, listen, he says, simply put, though the present heaven is up there, and if we die right now, we're going to go up there. The future eternal heaven will be down here. If we fail to see the distinction, we fail to understand God's plan and are unable to envision what our eternal lives will look like. So here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway. The thought of heaven and the thought of hell shall compel us to share God's word of redemption. That God has come to redeem us and to restore us. And listen, people, listen. The picture we see is that, that God is going to restore this earth. And God's heaven in, is going to come down right to this earth where we're going to be around that throne and worshiping God. And we're going to talk about what, 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 what's that going to look like? What, what are we going to do in heaven? What, what is that going to look like? Is, is, some, some people think, was well, heaven just going to be born? Are we just going to be with like angels with wings and sitting on a cloud playing a harp? Is that, is that a, listen, it's not going to be like that. And, and the thing of it is, is the, the, the word of God tells us that, that no mind can ever even conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. I can't even, you, you, you take the, the greatest place here on earth and you multiply it times a million percent, that's what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be beyond what, it's going to be beyond what we can even comprehend or even hope for. And so we have to encourage ourselves with those words when this world gets really, really junky. Here's, here's how I look at when I think about hell and that eternal place for those who are not redeemed. I, th I think about it like this. The, the, last year, I was um, going to our garage, and Lily, my 12-year-old, wanted to redeem all these cans, tons of cans. And we had two huge garbage bags of cans that she wanted, because normally we just put them in the recycling bin. And I don't know for some of you, you're saying, oh, my good pastor, you can redeem those for money. I know that. I know. I'm just bad pastor, Okay. I need to redeem the cans for, for the nickel, right? It's just going in there. You know, it's just, it's a whole ordeal, all right? I know. So Lily was going to do it, whatever she's going to But the can sat there. And the can sat there. And the cans got stinky. And the cans got moldy because nobody redeemed them. And I got thinking about that. You know, unredeemed cans is exactly the soul's that we see in our world today. The souls that we see in our world today are not redeemed yet. The reason why you redeem cans is because you want to take them back to be recycled. You, you, you get something from the cans. You get the nickel from whatever. I don't even know what it is. That's how bad it is. That's the last time I recycled cans. I don't know. What, is it a nickel? Okay, good. Nick, first, okay. So you, you get the nickel back, and, and, and so you redeem these cans, and, and they're recycled, they're, they're processed, and, and something that is old and, and useless and discarded now gets recycled into something new again. People, this 
is a picture of souls in our world today. There are a bunch of cans waiting to get redeemed. Are you hearing me? They're waiting to get redeemed. But unless someone takes the cans and brings them to the recycling place, wherever that is, okay, because I don't know. Unless someone takes these to Wegmans or whatever you take your cans to get redeemed, unless someone takes them there, they are going to remain in their unredeemed state. Because no one decided to redeem them. Listen, if I water down hell for you as your pastor, you're not going to see the value in this. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? I want you to get such a burden for souls that it bothers you that it disturbs you, that it causes a tension within your soul that you say, God, you have redeemed my life. Lord, what am I doing with that life that you have redeemed? Am I living your light out before men? Am I doing what you've called me to do? And this is how I want to challenge you before we jump into communion this morning. This is how I want to challenge you this morning. I want you to begin to rethink your life. I want you to say, Lord, how can you use me to redeem other people. I, I, want you to, I want you to make up a list and you start asking people to church. Make up a list. Here are the five people I'm going to invite to church in the next month. And I'm going to keep bugging them. I'm going to keep bugging them. I'm going to keep bugging them until they say, stop bugging me. I know. I'm your friend and we got to settle this thing. So when are you going to come to church with me? You're not going to any church, so come with me. It's great. You're going to love it. The pastor's a little crazy, but you're going to love it. So just come to church. I want you to begin to make a list of people that you're going to start praying for. That God's going to begin to open up the doors for you to reach out to them with the love of Christ. People, let's not allow people to remain in this condition any longer. Let's give people the choice to say, hey, I've presented this to you. And let's begin to allow God to use us to reach out to those unredeemed souls. Because if I made hell any less than it is, what it will do is it will dampen our efforts to reach people for the love of Christ. And let me just tell you, God has to, God has to tweak my thinking all the time because so many times I get caught up in the most stupidest things and all of a sudden God just reminds me, you know, Barden, there's a lost and dying world going to hell and you're worried about this? Really? Really? You're worried about this? And there's a lost and dying world going to hell and you're worried that your meal didn't come on time or you're worried because this, this inconvenienced you. Come on. See, we've got to be re-reminded. We've got to be reminded again of why Christ came. He came to redeem souls. To purchase them back. And he did it with his very own life. You see, that's what communion is all about. We celebrate the fact that Jesus gave his life for you and I. The bread represents his body. The cup 
symbolizes his blood that was shed for you and I. And without that, we could not find redemption. We could not find forgiveness. So Jesus says, whenever you do this, you do this in remembrance of me that I'm going to come back one day and I'm going to restore everything. But when you do this, celebrate the fact that I died for you and celebrate the fact that I'm coming back to get you again and to bring you where I am. And that's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So Lord, we bow our hearts before you today. And I pray for every person in this room that Lord, we would never take for granted the gospel message. That we would never take for granted what you did. That you are all about redeeming souls. So God, give us the boldness and encourage us to do that. Lord, as we come around your table, this table is open to anyone who has given their lives to Jesus Christ, who has bowed their heart. And if there's anyone here that has not done that today, Lord, at this moment, I pray that they would, that they could celebrate communion with us. And you can change a heart in an instant. So we confess our sins to you. And we ask you to change us today as we remember what you have done for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you do for us each and every day. Cleanse us anew and afresh today. Give us a greater boldness to reach the lost. In Jesus' name. Let that hound us. Let that bother us, Lord. But, Lord, it's because you love this world and you gave your life for this world. So give us a greater and deeper love for our children, for our neighbors, for our friends, for our coworkers. Give us a deeper and greater love for them. Let it burden our hearts, Lord. Use us as your tools and your light into this lost and dark world. So we thank you for this time. We pray your blessings over these elements, God, as we partake in communion together as the family of God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Listen, I'm going to show you a quick video before we get started here. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward, and then the worship team is going to lead us into worship. Please wait to the end after everyone has been served, and we'll take communion together. So God bless you as you just worship the Lord. Amen.
you realize this morning you're holding some very powerful elements in your hand that symbolizes something that we couldn't do for ourselves and as you know the whole reason why Jesus came was to give his life as a ransom for you and I to, to purchase us back from the bonds of sin that we couldn't do ourselves and so when we put our faith and our trust in Christ what God then does is he imputes Christ's righteousness into our lives which causes us to be a new creation, one that we couldn't do ourselves. So when we make mistakes, and we will, we can run to a Savior, a Savior who has forgiven us and will forgive us and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And so the question is, are you redeemed today? That's the question. And the only way that you can be redeemed is by going to the right recycling center. And the only one that can do that is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. Because he's the only one that was perfect, He's the only man who was fully man and fully God. He was the only one that gave his life for our sins. And so he is God and that's why we trust him. And so when you come to Christ and you put your faith in him, 
What God does is he puts his son's righteousness into your life that we can now stand before a holy God. And no longer does God's judgment is faced towards us because it was already given to Jesus Christ. It was already put upon Christ. And the penalty for our sin was placed upon Christ. So when we hide ourselves in Jesus, we find a covering in our life that no longer will God hold our sin against us. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed your sin from you. That's a pretty good deal, I would say. That's pretty good. And so as we come before him, we want to thank Christ for what he did for us. And as you take communion today, I want you to remember that it was his blood that was shed for you. It was his life that was given for you. And to prove that he was God, he rose and conquered death three days later, giving us the same hope that that will happen for us who put their hope in Christ Jesus. So that helps us to get through this world, knowing that Christ has conquered this world. So Lord, as we hold these emblems in our hand today, we thank you for the bread, which symbolizes your body. You are the bread of life that was given for us that was beaten, that was bruised, that the nails were thrust into your hand, the, the, the crown that was made out of thorns were put upon your head. And Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us. All this for us, so that we could find our way back to God, that you did this for your, for your Father's glory. You did this because you followed the will of God in your life. And for that, Lord, we're so grateful and we're so thankful for what you've done for us. So as we remember your body that was given for us, we say thank you. And we remember that you did it. And you did it for God's glory. And you followed the will of God. And for that, we are so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the bread. And Lord, we thank you for what this cup symbolizes. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, it was your blood that was shed for us and that without the forgiveness of this blood, Lord, we, we could not find redemption, Lord. So we thank you, God, for your um, shedding of your own blood so that we could find forgiveness and we could find a covering, Lord. So we thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. We're so grateful. We're so grateful that you gave your life for us. So as we take this cup, we remember that it was your life that you gave for us, that you became our substitute, and for that, we're so grateful. So thank you for your blood today. As we partake together, may we be drawn together as your family, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let's partake of the cup together. Amen. 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 I want us to, to stand together as we, we, we close. Um, I wanted to... Um, just as I release you today, I just wanted to pray real quick. Some of you, um, uh, if you've been at, attending the church for a long time, you may remember the former pastor, Ron Hall. He was involved in a very serious accident, swimming accident in California, and he's undergoing surgery today. Um, they, they, they believe he broke his back, some spine injury, very, very serious. And I just want us to pray for him. Um, did a great job leading this church before I came. I want to pray for his family, for his three boys, that God would not only bring healing but comfort to that family right now as they're just going through a very difficult time. So let's pray as we just leave this place. Lord, we come before you, and Lord, specifically, we come before you on behalf of the Hall family. Lord, we pray for Ron right now that, Lord, as he undergoes surgery today, that you would bring healing to him, that you would protect that family, that 
that God, I, I pray for Linda, his wife, and his three boys, that you would bring comfort during this very uncertain and difficult time. We know that you're a God of all comfort, that God, you can heal. And so, Lord, we just pray for this family now that you would just bring your protection upon it, Lord. And God, we just pray for your healing for him right now in Jesus' name. We thank you for his life. Uh, and Lord, for his part in this church, Lord, and for his ministry within this body. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your care and your comfort. We thank you for the body of Christ that can stand together, even in difficult times, and stand in the gap for one another and pray for each other. And so, Lord, we ask for that today, Lord. So as we go in your presence, we just, I just pray that we would go under your covenant and your grace. And God, this week, we would just look for those opportunities to redeem people, God, with that wonderful message of Jesus. So continue to challenge us and encourage us, Lord, to continue to allow your love and your light to flow from our lives that we could reach many with your wonderful message. So we just give you the glory and we thank you for this message. We thank you for this day. And I just pray that we would go in your grace now. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. And all God people said, amen. Let's give the Lord praise. He's good. Amen. God bless you guys. Anyone needs prayer, we'll be up front to pray with you. Otherwise, have a wonderful day. God bless you.